Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Well, the Bears lost to the Colts, but there were some bright spots despite the end result. Sports Talk Chicago. Here with John Zaglou. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears content. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. Help out our sponsor, Amish Country Farms in Orland Park. The Bears did not go undefeated this season, as evidenced by their loss to Indianapolis on Saturday. But there were many things that occurred that were of note, chiefly the fact that the Bears may have a quarterback controversy on their hands. Now, we're going to do a separate video breaking down the specifics in the competition, I guess, between Nathan Peterman, Tyson Bajant, and P.J. Walker. Can't believe I'm mentioning Nathan Peterman, Bajant, and Walker all in the same conversation. But nevertheless, through these first two preseason games, there is a clear competition for QB2 and QB3 if the Bears so choose to decide to carry that position. We know as of today, QB2 is up for grabs. We know that Besides Justin Fields, the Bears don't have a clear backup yet. And right now, I have to say, at this point, Nathan Peterman and or Tyson Bagent are frontrunners for the position, not P.J. Walker, whom the Bears spent $2 million on. I'm stunned as we sit here today. And I'll wave my hand in the air. I loved the P.J. Walker signing. I appreciated the Bears making that move. Walker, mobile quarterback, quality, great story. I mean, former USFL MVP comes to the NFL and had that big Hail Mary last year for Carolina. I mean, there's a lot to like in the story and even in the physique and the skill set of P.J. Walker. The thought was he would greatly mirror Justin Fields. He would greatly mirror this offensive system that Luke Gensie was going to put in place. So if Fields ever got hurt, P.J. Walker could certainly come in and carry on what Fields does. Not saying he would be the same or he'd be better, but... To a lesser degree, he'd be able to continue the Bears' offensive strategy even when Fields wasn't in place. But clearly, and I say this evidently, that's not going to be the case because P.J. Walker has done nothing of significance with this team. Went one of four, six yards in total in the loss to Indianapolis. Meanwhile, Tyson Bajant, 9 of 10 for 76 yards, and Nathan Peterman, 10 of 18, 115 yards and one touchdown. Now, nobody turned the ball over, granted it's preseason, but there's a clear difference between Peterman, Bajent, and then Walker. Bajent's right up here, Peterman's right there, and Walker's all the way down here. And it's difficult, I'm sure, for Ryan Poles and even for Bears fans to stomach because by cutting P.J. Walker, you do lose $2 million in salary considerations. And it becomes tough for management to depart with that money, knowing that they paid it. It's going to be guaranteed. It'd be a waste if you cut Walker. That money would go down the drain. I call the Bears to make the right decision, and I call the Bears to put talent and merit over money and favors. Let's be clear here. Nobody owes P.J. Walker anything. 
And this is not meant to be disparaging. I love P.J. Walker, love his story, and at first I loved the signing. I thought it would have been great. But clearly, he's not performing. So the Bears have to rethink their strategy as to how they address his presence with this team. You have to pick the best man for the job to back up Justin Fields and then to back up the backup. And right now, P.J. Walker looks like the odd man out. He looks like the fourth QB. Now, experience-wise, statistically, over the past couple of seasons, you'd think P.J. Walker would be the guy. Walker has started in games the past two, three seasons. He was the USFL MVP. There's a lot to like when it comes to P.J. Walker on paper. But in these preseason games, times in which these backups are fighting for spots on the roster, it is not looking too good. I don't want to sit here and judge Walker based on just these two games alone and say, okay, you know, you need to go. These are two exhibition games. But Walker is a newbie. He's a newcomer and a new system with Luke Getze. And I find it quite telling that Peterman, who has been here longer, and Bajent, who is new, are learning the system better than P.J. Walker. That's why Bajent and Walker are fair comparisons. They're both new. They're both new to this system, new to this team, new to this culture, new to Luke Getze. One guy's getting it, and one isn't. One guy's getting paid more, though, and one isn't. So herein lies the conundrum. Do you choose talent and ability, or do you choose somebody just because they're getting paid more money? I want to provide a cautionary tale here. Let's think about Andy Dalton and Justin Fields and Nick Foles, the horrendous year that was 2020 and then trickling into 2021. My goodness. We remember that, right? We remember the Bears paying Andy Dalton $10 million and putting out on Twitter that he would be QB1. We remember Nick Foles somehow sticking around after a horrendous past. And we remember the Bears drafting Justin Fields and being excited about what he was going to bring to the table. Remember all this stuff. Matt Nagy and company chose money and chose favors and chose patronage over merit. Now, at the time, in training camp, even in preseason games, Andy Dalton was the guy, and it made sense. But as the season went forward, it became clear that Dalton wasn't the guy. When Fields went in, he was thrown to the Wolves, and they somehow let Nick Bowles play a couple of games. The point is, the Bears in that situation chose money over merit. They chose personal favors and promises made to Andy Dalton over, let's find the best guy and just play him no matter who it is. If it's Dalton, great. If it's Fields, great. If it's Foles, great. They chose money over talent. Don't make the same mistake here. New regime, new GM, new situation. P.J. Walker was not promised to be the starting quarterback. P.J. Walker was not promised an exorbitant salary with all these guarantees and all this money. Ryan Poles, it's only $2 million. If you have to cut him, in order to keep Bajan, who actually is performing, please do it. Don't follow in the footsteps of your forefathers, keeping guys around because of promises, personal favors, and money. And again, I like P.J. Walker. I love his story, and I love what he's done as a professional football player. And I thought at first this would be a great move, but clearly it's just not working. That's okay. 
but pick the guy who's going to fit best with this system. Don't pick somebody because you promised him $2 million. And by the way, that's it. There wasn't a promise of you're going to start here. You're going to start a couple of games. Uh, we're paying you $10 million to sit on the bench and be a backup. No, P.J. Walker's getting paid $2 million to be the backup if he earns the job now. That's it. If he earns the job, $2 million. I'd say it's time to cut him. And I said the Bears should make the right decision here in letting him go. See, Matt Eberflus had some thoughts on this subject, too. And this was interesting from Dan Wiedeberg. He wrote this on Twitter. Quote, Matt Eberflus certainly didn't give P.J. Walker reason to feel like his name was written in Sharpie on the QB2 line. Quote, everything's open right now. I think if you have a closed mind, then if somebody is rising or executing, you'll miss it. Matt Eberflus did not commit to P.J. Walker being the QB2. After that game, Tyson Bajant said this, I've been playing quarterback since I was six. It's everything that I have planned for myself. Every day has been nothing short of amazing. I catch myself pre-practice, pre-game, pre-walkthrough, looking around and kind of pinching myself with how amazed I am that I am where I am. Here's a young kid who essentially had no NFL future, loves the game for what it is, and is just performing lights out right now. He's understanding the Getsy offense. He's putting in the work. You're going to tell me he shouldn't be rewarded? This is your opportunity if you're the Bears. This is your chance to make the right decision. Don't pull the Matt Nagy. Don't pull the Ryan Pace. Don't pay somebody because you need to and keep them around for no reason. I like P.J. Walker, but he's not integral to this mission. He's not integral to the Bears winning 10, 12 games in 2023. P.J. Walker is a journeyman quarterback who has a heck of a story, and he's in the picture because they're paying him $2 million guaranteed. Tyson Bajant went 9 of 10 for 76 yards and has led the offense consistently in two preseason games now. In game scenarios against the Titans and the Colts, he has performed. Can we reward him for that, please? There's a precedent to be set here. Last year, we didn't really see this coming to fruition. It was Ryan Poles' first year on the job, and there were no expectations. Everybody was brought in on one- or two-year deals. Nobody was promised necessarily anything, and the team ended up sucking anyway. They were tanking from day one, and everybody knew it. So Ryan Poles has never really faced this sort of situation before, but now it's here. Now it's time. What are you going to do? Are you going to choose merit, choose talent, choose hard work and skill set, are you going to be worried because, oh my gosh, I can't waste a measly $2 million? $10 million, I get it. Andy Dalton and Justin Fields, I get it. You promised Andy Dalton something, established, veteran QB, five-time playoff quarterback, comes in, getting paid a lot of money, totally get it. This is different. You're talking about somebody who was guaranteed a backup position. There's no justification for him having to stay. He has to prove his worth to be here. And if that means you lose $2 million, then you lose $2 million. It's not the end of the world. There's still cap space left over. Ryan Poles has been so frugal, smartly, that there still is cap space left over, even if that's going to be dead cap and $2 million. Who cares? You're in the business of winning games now. This isn't about 
well, we're rebuilding and I don't want to waste any money. You are just trying to win. And if Justin Fields goes down, who would you rather have in there at QB2? Who would you rather have? Who would you be more confident in coming into the game and making some sort of impact? Don't tell me P.J. Walker is the top of your list. And I think we can all say confidently, even with that quote from Matt Eberflus, that nobody thinks P.J. Walker is at the top of that list. Quote, everything's open right now. I think if you have a closed mind, then if somebody is rising or executing, you'll miss it. Yes. The Bears may miss the boat on Tyson Bajan. And I'm not saying that Bajan's going to be the next Brock Purdy, some sort of big superstar, none of that. But it is clear that he should be the backup QB on this team. I don't think there's really any doubt about that. He should be here. He deserves the opportunity to stay based on his performance. So someone on Facebook say Tyson Bagent is looking like John Elway. He should start. Not going to go that far. But he certainly deserves to stick around. He certainly deserves more of an opportunity. And who knows? Maybe Justin Fields does get hurt in a couple of years. Maybe this year. And Bagent comes in and could lead this team and could continue what they started. That's the biggest problem in football today. You know, for a lot of teams, you lose your quarterback and your season's over. You could be 8-3, and 9-3. and three. You lose your quarterback, you lose the rest of your games, you're out of the playoff picture, and then you're rebuilding a year later all because somebody got hurt. And teams have done that in the past. The Bears have done it. Trying to forget, trying to think about what year was, I believe, maybe 2014, where they started out, I think it was 8-3, and three, and then Cutler got hurt, and then everything kind of collapsed. And it's unfortunate, but it's nevertheless true in the National Football League. It's true when you look at a lot of these teams that are especially quarterback dependent. So your quarterback's your lifeblood for the majority of your season. You know, the 49ers last year should have been screwed. Brock Purdy came in and did the unthinkable. Because even if he had been average, or even if he had been okay, or even good, I don't think they would have been where they were. It's because he was so great unbelievably great that their season was not spoiled. Because even if he was good, even if he was promising, even if he had, let's say, 20 touchdowns and 12 picks, wow, what a nice rookie season, they would not have made it to where they did. They got unbelievable excellency out of Brock Purdy, and that kept their season alive and on the right trajectory to where they were supposed to go. That's how integral a backup QB can be if your starter gets hurt. And guess what? Justin Fields likes to run the football. It's only a matter of time before something may happen to him. And you need to have a quality backup on staff ready to come in and execute the game plan. Somebody who knows the offense, somebody who's shown that he can thrive in the offense, in Luke Getze's offense, in Luke Getze's scheme and skill. Tyson Bagent has proven twice in game scenarios that he could do it. P.J. Walker has shown us nothing. You be the judge of who should stay and who should go. Bagent has to stay. Walker has to go. I don't care if you're losing $2 million. You know what? If Let's say Justin Fields gets hurt and Bagent comes in and leads the team to the NFC Championship game, a la Brock Purdy. Will we be caring about $2 million? Will we be worried, thinking, oh, man, the $2 million is outstanding. Dead cap. P.J. Walker's gone. No. Everyone will forget about it. Similar to Vallis Jones Jr. Ryan Poles cuts Vallis Jones. No one's going to be like, oh, Ryan Poles, you made a big mistake. No. We're worried about now. We're worried about today and tomorrow and the future and what this team could be. I'm worried about winning. 
Everybody else is just, they just want to win. They just want this team to do good and succeed. So this is encouraging, in Bajan's case, and if I were the Bears, I would stick with him. Don't take P.J. Walker. Now, the Bears lost the game, as we discussed. I know we talked a lot about Bajant and Walker, and that was certainly the biggest storyline in that game, but how about Roshan Johnson doing it again? Roshan Johnson, who we've talked about since the day he was drafted, watch out, and certainly enough, he's doing it again. Seven carries, 32 yards, 4.6 yards per carry. Robert Burns also eight carries for 40 yards, averaging five. Roshan Johnson had 12 carries last week, averaged 3.6 per carry, up to 4.6 this week. He's gotten the majority of the carries for the Bears in the preseason. Now, again, it's preseason, but I firmly believe that by week eight, he will be the RB1 on this team. And so far, I don't think he's disappointed in a sense. He hasn't shown anybody why he shouldn't be in that position, even at a catch for 11 yards, too. Roshan Johnson has already been a surprise, and he's already come in with a vengeance. He's ready to go. He's proven it. And he's showing off again. Oh, it's just so satisfying to see. Deontay Foreman got some carries too, Travis Homer, etc. But Roshan Johnson, watch out. <laughs> he has been so good in these two preseason games. It's just been so exciting to see. It's been exciting to see him get these opportunities. It's been exciting to see him fulfill what was expected of him. Quote here from USA Today, Johnson played a huge role in Chicago's first scoring drive where he had a 14-yard run and 11-yard reception. He provided a spark on offense that was desperately needed. As Johnson continues to impress, it'll be interesting to see how quickly he can climb the depth chart as a rookie. A little bit of foreshadowing from this article, and it's true. Another guy who may not be getting paid the big bucks, may not have the NFL resume per se, but... If you're worried about talent and if you're worried about production, that's just the guy you go with. I know Khalil Herbert's been here for a while, and I know on paper he averages enough yards per carry to be a pro bowler every single season. But Roshan Johnson can do both. Roshan Johnson is younger. Roshan Johnson is more fire and more ambition. And he's been proving it in the preseason so far. Let me make this clear, too. I'm not going to be mad if... Roshan is going to be the third string running back all season. I'm not going to be bashing Khalil Herbert, wait, waiting for him to screw up or something like that. But I want to advocate for people who are doing good things. I want to advocate for people who are doing good work and putting in the work on the field and proving to everybody that there needs to be a conversation about these set positions. Backup quarterback was supposed to be set. Running back, to an extent, was supposed to be set at least for week one. And there are two rookies on this team, late round guys, who are just disrupting the whole process and being a problem, and I love it. That is what makes the preseason fun. When, he, when people ask, um, you know, why why watch the preseason? A couple of people last night said, oh, you know, all these starters are out. Justin Fields is out. Khalil Herbert's out. All these guys are out. What's the point? Why are we doing this? We're doing it for reasons like this. We're doing it to see the next generation of Bears talent rise up, and we're doing it to maybe see these players who are considered next generation to debut this season to make an impact right away, like Roshan and potentially Bajant, if something were to happen to Justin Fields. This is what makes it fun to watch. This is what makes it exciting. This is what I love about the preseason, contrary to popular opinion.
I mean, in another aspect, too, we get to see these rookies who may not be performing who should be. Tyreek Stevenson had a dud of a game yesterday. Stevenson was called for personal foul and a late hit out of bounds. Then he let an interception go right through his hands from Gardner Minshew. Totally right through his hands. Stone-handed over there and missed it. So you get to see opportunities for guys to improve, and you get to see guys who need to improve screw up. It's an evaluation process. Preseason games are evaluation in person, in-game scenarios. You can only decipher so much when you're not in pads or maybe you even are in pads, but things are light during a training camp. You're playing a game in a stadium with fans. It's a great environment to simulate a real game and understand how guys are going to perform. So I think we saw a lot yesterday. We have a lot to think about. I know I led with this. I'm going to make sure I reinforce it here. Tyson Bajan should be the Bears' backup QB. Tyson Bajan is the guy the Bears need, and it's going to come down again to Ryan Poles deciding, do I care about talent? Do I care about merit? Do I care about proving oneself? Or do I care about $2 million? Do I care about losing $2 million, losing this cap space, and cutting P.J. Walker? It's a small, minute decision, but I will say the Bears chose money over talent with Andy Dalton and Nick Foles and Justin Fields in 2021. If Ryan Poles makes that same mistake, I think it's safe to say we got to watch what he does moving forward because that would be a dumb move. At the same time, I think it's also clear Roshan Johnson made a big impact and continues to show that he is RB1 material. These are two significant battles that we're watching play out. One more preseason game left to go, then the real thing starts in mid-September. And I have to say at this point, there's a lot to be excited about. Could the White Sox be on the verge of an internal fire sale? Well, according to one report, the answer could be yes. Sports Talk Chicago, here with John School. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago White Sox and Chicago sports content. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms. This is not a drill. This is not a joke. It's an official report from Bob Nightingale over at USA Today. Quote, the White Sox are conducting a series of internal interviews to determine whether drastic changes are needed inside the front office or on the coaching staff. This has been one of the most disappointing and painful seasons. And Chairman Jerry Reinsdorf's tenure. Yeah, no kidding. GM Rick Hahn has one year left in his contract, while manager Pedro Grafull has two years remaining. This is a pretty big report, and for some reason, it's not being talked about enough. Well, I should rephrase that. There are a lot of people who have said Pedro Grafull should be fired, which I've made many a video talking about why that would be a dumb move, and I guess I have to talk about it again today. But even more than that, there is blame being put wrongfully on Grafull rather than the people who set up this team, the people who continue to patronize and enable this team, and the players themselves. In my opinion, everybody should be fired except Pedro Grafal. And I'm talking players should be released, a fire sale should occur, and kind of did near the trade deadline, but not to the extent that it should have. Rick Hahn should be gone. Kenny Williams should have no position whatsoever, and even Jerry Reinsdorf himself should be off this team. That's not going to happen, but that's the extent to which I'm talking about here. Everybody has to blame the manager. Everybody has to go up to Pedro Grafal and say, it's your fault, it's your problem, it's your issue. 
what did he do wrong this season? What did he do to hurt this team? He came into a situation in which they were already going down. They went 81-81 and last year. Tony La Russa was the manager, and everybody begged and pleaded for him to leave, and now the team's even worse. Kind of sounds to me like Tony La Russa wasn't the issue. But even more than that, Pedro Grafal has no blame or issue with what's going on here. This is not a Pedro Grafal problem. What wrong did he commit? Coming in at the wrong time and inheriting a crap-ass team? That's his problem? That's his fault? No. Rick Hahn assembled this team. Jerry Reinsdorf continues to support this team. And Kenny Williams is involved, too. Again, let's not mention the players, some of them who are having career-worst seasons, like Tim Anderson. He's one of the worst qualified hitters in baseball. Dylan Cease, who now is an ERA above four. Lucas Giolito, who was doing okay, then got traded. There are players who are just simply not performing right now for this Sox team. That's the issue. It has nothing to do with Pedro Graffold. They're 48 and 75 right now as we tape this. That's not a Pedro Graffold problem. It's not his fault that things aren't going right. I look at their lineup right now, and this is just depressing to even look at. I mean, there's one player who's doing well, one player who may actually finish in the top five in the AL MVP vote, and that's Luis Robert. He's having a heck of a season, career year, superstar year. He is living up to his entire potential. Every White Sox fan who said, just watch out, just wait for Luis Robert, you are turning out to be absolutely right this season. Luis Robert is 33 home runs. He is on pace to hit 40-plus homers, and he's 25 years old. His future is super bright. But everybody else in this lineup, with the exception of Vaughn and Eloy Jimenez, who can barely stay on the field, has OPS pluses under 100, which means that seven out of the nine players in the White Sox lineup are below average hitters, according to Major League Baseball. Tim Anderson's OPS plus is a 58, and Oscar Colas is at 50. On the pitching side, Mike Clevenger has been the White Sox best pitcher. Mike Clevenger's actually been amazing which we kind of called over here. Hey, one-year one year deal, one-year prove-it deal turned out to be great, and I'm not surprised by that development. Michael Kopech has been horrible. Lance Lynn was horrible till he got traded. Lucas Giolito was okay, then he got traded, and he's been horrendous. And Dylan Cease, who last year was the runner-up in the Cy Young Award chase, now is an ERA of 4.32. Last year was 2.16. I mean, what the hell is going on with this team? All these players who everybody sells to us every single season, fans, media, the Sox themselves, they all suck. They're all horrendous. And yet you have the nerve to come out and say, hey, Pedro Grafo needs to go. You know, there are a couple of um, hosts on a certain Chicago radio station that I saw on Instagram, won't name the name. You guys could probably assume. But they were on the station ranting and yelling and screaming like a bunch of little babies saying, it's Pedro Grafal, he has to go, he's a horrible manager, blah, 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 not watching the games, don't understand baseball. Because that's what it really comes down to. If you're going to actually sit here and tell me, it's all on Grafal, Grafal needs to go, that goes to show you that they're a shill for the White Sox. Not kidding. That just goes to show it. And this is pissing me off because, like 
LaRusso, now with Griffol, the wrong guy's being blamed. You could bring in Bruce Bochy tomorrow. You could bring in Joe Madden tomorrow. You could bring in the best manager in the world. You could bring back Connie Mack. This team sucks. It doesn't matter who's managing them. But no, no, no. That's the problem. Got people yelling, screaming, and crying on microphones like these, saying it has to be Pedro Grappoli. He has to go. He just has to go. No, he doesn't. If you really believe that this team is suffering under Pedro Grappoli, then you are shilling for the White Sox. I, I don't know what else to say. It just it, it boggles my mind that that's the narrative right now. Just like the narrative was last year, it's Tony LaBrusa. That goes to show you how much control the White Sox have over their own media partners. I'm just going to call it like I see it. It's a fact. And I know it's a little bit out there, but you got to be kidding me. You're going to tell me it's Pedro Graffol when seven of their nine hitters have OPS pluses under 100? You're going to tell me it's Graffol when two of their starting pitchers out of five have OPS or uh, have ERA pluses under 100? You're going to tell me this is a Graffol problem? 90% of this team is actually, by definition, mediocre. And not even mediocre, because mediocre would mean kind of average. They are horrendous. Tim Anderson's been a distraction all years. Off the field issues have been horrendous, have been horrible. And then on the field, there's a 58 OPS+. plus. They brought back up as Andrews, and he's been a disappointment. It's Monte Grandal. They tried to trade. Nobody wanted him because he sucks. Yohan Moncada hitting 227. Oscar called us big bust. And then on the pitching side, Dylan Cease just can't replicate last year. Michael Kopech is struggling. Lance Lynn was the worst qualified pitcher in baseball until he got traded. Guys, I just named all of that. But it's Pedro Graffol who should go, and he's to blame for all of this. And now we see reports, oh, they're having internal conversations and I don't know who's going to be sticking around. Uh, Rick Conn has one year left on his contract. And I love how they conveniently say manager Pedro Graffol is two years left. So that means you're implying that Pedro Graffol is part of these discussions of, hey, he could be fired. You know what? If you fire him, then fine. Because the next guy you bring in will do the same thing. You could bring in anybody you want. And who even is your pick? Who's even out there right now to take? Who are you going to poach? And from which team are they going to come from? Because I'll tell you what, there is not one manager in Major League Baseball right now who has a job who's sitting there thinking, I want to come to the White Sox and inherit that situation. Not one. You're going to have to find somebody who's desperate to get back into the game. Maybe Joe Madden, you know, maybe, I I don't even know. Bruce Bochy came back to the Rangers, and it's so funny, he came back this season, right? The Rangers last year were horrendous. They lost 90 games. Then they went out, they spent a lot of money, they brought in pitching. They revamped their roster. Their payroll is one of the highest in baseball. Former MLB pitcher Chris Young's their GM. Then they somehow coaxed Bruce Bochy out of retirement, retired with the Giants, already won three World Series, guaranteed Hall of Famer, coaxed him out of retirement to come back and be their manager. Why? Tons of money spent, superstar team, and they're one of the best teams in the American League right now. That's what it's going to take to bring in a high-profile, legit manager. The White Sox have none of that. They're unwilling to spend money, or enough money, in, in modern times. The roster's horrendous and needs a lot of improvement. And at the end of the day, they're handcuffed by 
Jerry Reinsdorf and Ken Williams and Rick Hahn. And then the media hates them right away. Media hates the new manager right away because I counted as that, and, and here's why. When, when Grafford got hired and was brought in, there was a lot of optimism. There was a lot of support. But we got hosts in Chicago on legit radio calling for him to be fired and literally crying on a microphone in August. It's been five months of the Pedro Grafford show on the South Side, and we got people on legitimate media outlets begging for him to be fired. Why even take the position? Why even come in and do something like this? If you're a manager, if you're on the outside looking in, the media's against you from day one. The players are not going to respond to you because they haven't responded to Grafol at all. And the players are going to suck on top of that. The roster needs a complete overhaul, and you barely have any freedom. I don't blame Pedro Grafol for probably feeling frustrated. And honestly, for him, if he was fired, good for him. He'd be like, I'm going to get the hell out of here anyway. I mean, this has been a dumpster fire. Talk about a complete train wreck of a team. For a team that had some high hopes and for a team that had some optimism, including myself, I really thought they were going to be good. thought they were going to be a formidable team and opponent. But I could not have even predicted the mediocrity that I've seen from them. I could not have predicted Tim Anderson to hit 220 and have an OPS plus of 58. I couldn't have predicted... Seven of their nine hitters to have OPS pluses under 100, and two of their five starters to have OPS plus or to have ERA pluses over 100, which means three of them didn't. It's just such. I mean, even thinking about it gives me a headache. It's so bad over there. And yet we see this report saying, oh, oh watch out. Never know. Yeah. Conversations are occurring. All right. Ironically enough, this report comes out, and last week was when that radio host was on the air begging Pedro Grafol to be fired. So, see, there's no coincidence here, guys. Okay, Pedro Grafol is going to be one of the foam men at the end of this season. Rick Hahn might be, too. Or maybe not. Who knows? And if he somehow sticks around, I don't even know how that's possible, but good for him for keeping a job that long. But just be aware that Pedro Grafol may be out at the end of this season. Now we're hearing about it. And if you thought this was an impassioned rant, if he gets fired, this whole studio's coming down to the ground. Okay, this is going to be a freaking joke if he goes. And I have a feeling it's going to happen. And we're, we're already hearing about it now. It's kind of already on the, on the fence. So just be aware and keep that all in mind. This is not Pedro Grafol's fault. This is an organizational-wide effort of, of collusion to purposefully lose. I mean, everybody's working together, finding a way to lose baseball, lose games. I mean, but between Rick Hahn and some of his moves in this roster construction, along with Kenny Williams, to these players just being historically bad, everyone's working together to make sure the Pandra Grafol just cannot even compete and for this team to lose games. That, that's, I'm convinced that's what's going on here. So don't tell me, oh boy, Pedro Grafol needs to go. That's what they said last year, right? All the prognosticators and media darlings out there, right? Oh, if just if, if Tony LaRusa just gets fired, everything will be okay. Please just fire Tony and everything will be fine. Everything will go back to normal. No, they no, it didn't. It didn't go back to normal. It didn't go back to normal. It actually got worse. Actually, if Tony was here, they'd probably still be five hundred. They'd at least be competing maybe for a wild card spot. But nope, not even close. 
They're way out of it now, and there are going to be serious decisions to come this upcoming offseason. I hope they don't fire Griffon, but I'm warning all of you today. It's probably going to happen, and it's imminent. And you're going to want to stay tuned to this channel when I make a video reacting to that firing. Till then, you can all believe what you'd like, and you can evaluate this team and critique them as you may see fit. I mean, this is just all my opinion here. But I am stating facts statistically. I think it's pretty apparent who's at fault for this season and for this disappointment that is 2023 for the Chicago White Sox. And the last person to receive any blame should be Pedro Grafal. Breaking Cubs news, Marcus Stroman may not be offered an extension after this season. Sports Talk Chicago, here with John's Glues. Proud to the channel for more Chicago Cubs and Chicago sports news. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms in Orland Park. Now, we have a lot of Cubs news overall to get to, but this just broke. Bob Nightingale on the report from USA Today. Here's the quote. The Chicago Cubs say they have no intention to offer starter Marcus Stroman a contract extension after the season, and now wonder if Stroman will opt out of his contract after all. He's sidelined with fractured cartilage in his right rib cage and may not return after this season. He's owed $21 million in 2024 in the final year of his three-year $71 million contract. Now, this is big news because just a couple of months ago, I actually advocated for a Marcus Stroman extension based on the fact that at that time, he led all National League pitchers in war. He was the clear front runner for the NL Cy Young Award. At one point, he was 9-4 and four with an ERA under 2.5. But for some reason, in the months since that argument, he's gotten much worse. And as we stand here today, he's 10-8 and eight with a 3.85 ERA and now is on the shelf potentially for the rest of this season. Stroman has fallen off a cliff in terms of performance and now is hurt and may never come back. And although Cubs fans are probably going to get pissed about this move and complain and whine and say, why not Marcus Stroman? He's such a vibe guy, right? He's a, he's a big-time piece of this team. Financially, talent-wise, logically, it all makes sense. And I applaud Jed Hoyer, who for some reason never gets applause. I'm going to give him some applause here again for this idea and this move. Why are the Cubs going to pay somebody who is clearly hurt for the rest of this season? Why are they going to pay somebody who has experienced a significant downgrade in performance? And why are they going to pay somebody this amount of money to be their number two or number three starter? And let's just call it like it is. Justin Steele is the ace of this team. Nobody expected that to occur. Nobody thought Justin Steele would be the guy, but he is. The Cubs brought in Stroman, paid him ace money to be that guy after a couple of great years in New York. And although Stroman has been fine, I mean, he has a 115, 120 ERA plus, that's above average. Justin Steele is kicking his ass in terms of overall performance. There is a clear number one in this Cubs team, and it's not Marcus Stroman. Couple that with the fact that his performance has dipped significantly, and the fact that at the end of the day, he's hurt and he's out for the rest of this year. Should the Cubs be paying him that much money? No, I don't think so. And if I look here at his game log, because this will really tell a good picture from 2023, Things have just gotten progressively worse. He had a 2.2 ADR on June 20th, and he was 9-4. and four. And at that time, he led all pitchers in war and was the clear frontrunner for the NL Cy Young Award. And ever since then, 
which has really just been throughout July because he hasn't even pitched yet in August. He made six starts in July, and he got lit up almost every time except for once. And his ERA went up from 2.28 on June 20th to 3.85 on July 31st. Five weeks, the ERA goes up by one and a half runs. And he goes from high war and all these expectations and opportunities to run-of-the-mill number two starting pitcher whose war actually decreased significantly and now stands at a 2.0. Stroman, for his career, has always been a good but not great starter. Stroman's never been on the short list to win a Cy Young Award. He's just been very good. And this is not an indictment on Stroman. Let's just call it like it is. I don't think anybody could sit here logically and say, oh, yeah, Stroman's a grade-A, you know, top-ten pitcher in baseball. No, he's not. He's a very number-two, number-three type starter who brings with him some flair and some social media highlights, and everybody gets excited. And some swagger. But is Stroman going to be worth $21 million next year after the collapse that he sustained this year? Then on top of that, him being hurt? The answer is no, by a long shot. This has not become an argument anymore. It's become fact. He should not be retained. And yes, there might be fear that Stroman's going to opt out. And if that's the case, good luck. I actually think Stroman has no incentive to opt out right now. And the Cubs are playing a really smart game. Stroman's done horrendous this past month and a half, and now he's hurt for the rest of this year. He may not get the value he wants. He's going to need to prove himself for one more year in order to get the money he wants. He's going to have to. There's no extension. He's owed $21 million in 2024 in the final year of his contract. If he wants to opt out around these optics, so be it. No one's going to pay him $21 million next year. The Cubs are forced to. If he opts out and says, I think I can get a better deal, dumb move on Marcus Stroman's part. The Cubs are so smart, and they're covering all their bases in this decision. And whether you like it or not, business is business, and baseball is baseball. And Jed Hoyer is, once again, whether people want to admit it or not, making the right decision. You know, everybody trashes Jed Hoyer. I saw a video come out the other day talking about the collapse of the Cubs' core. He saw it coming years away, and everybody crapped on him. This guy doesn't get enough credit. Javier Baez is hitting 220 out in Detroit. Chris Bryant has missed a total of 189 games, and he's in the second year of a seven-year, $150-plus-million-dollar contract. Anthony Rizzo is on the DL or on the IL with a concussion, but he hasn't been himself since May. This Cubs core that everybody proclaimed and was so angry about when things changed has worked out in Hoyer's favor. Couple that with the fact that Wilson Contreras at one point in his first year in St. Louis was demoted from the catcher position. And nobody gives this guy credit. They all crap on him. They all worship Theo Epstein and say Jed was the reason why they suck. You know what? If it wasn't for Jed Hoyer, the Cubs wouldn't be where they are today. The Cubs are ahead of schedule right now. And that goes on to my main point about this video. The Cubs right now are in the thick of the NL wildcard hunt. They currently, as of today, actually hold a spot. So if the season ended today, they would make the postseason, which is a shock to probably everybody watching this video. Everybody crapped on them back in, what, 2020 and then 2021. You're trading away everybody. What are you doing? And just two and a half, almost three years later, they're in the playoff hunt, and they might make the playoffs. Kudos to Jen Hoyer.
Nobody gives this guy credit. Nobody cares about the tough decisions that he had to make. Because I'll tell you what, if he if he didn't make the decisions he did, they'd still suck and they'd still be crapping on him too. So really, it wouldn't make a difference. If he didn't choose at the time to make the tough decision to cut and get rid of Rizzo and Bryant and Baez and company, and now Contreras too, if he didn't make those tough uh, tough decisions, this team would still be in a gut, in a rut, in a hole. Even Kyle Schwarber. Oh, I love Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, well, he has a negative war and his OPS plus is under 100. Yikes. But no, Kyle Schwarber is a Cubs legend, according to everybody on Twitter. Kyle Schwarber's hitting 181. The short-sightedness and the undying loyalty to certain players who just don't produce is astounding at times. Frankly, it is astounding. I mean, I love the enthusiasm from Cubs fans, but you have to understand and you have to draw the line between I'm a fan and I'm a baseball realist. I'm a fan and I love this team, but I also know when somebody's long in the tooth and needs to go. Jed Hoyer is purely a baseball mastermind, and he's been in this game just as long as Theo has. Theo didn't orchestrate this rebuild into contention. It was Jed who did it because Theo left the team high and dry and went away and waved bye to everybody and everyone was happy for some reason. He got out before things got bad, left his friend out to dry, then his friend had to deal with the damage, but yet somehow re-emerged from the pile of garbage. And yet we're still not giving him credit for what he did. He was put in an impossible position and he succeeded. Jed Hoyer should never have to worry about a job ever again in baseball. If I were an executive of a team and I knew Hoyer was on the market, I'd be after him right now to lead my front office to lead to be my GM or my president. Like, right now. And yet, we still have some people trashing on him. Oh, just makes no sense. The Cubs in general are having an unbelievably surprising season. Their lineup is solid. Cody Bellinger is kind of an MVP candidate. Now, he's played 91 games, and that's what's going to hurt him. But Cody Bellinger sitting 326. Cub paid him one year, $18 million, and he's turning in an unbelievably impressive season. Christopher Morrell is doing great. Hap, Wisdom, Swanson, Horner, all OPS pluses above 100. Jan Gomes, even at 97, near league average for a catcher. They got rid of Trey Mancini and got rid of that experiment. Mike Talkman's doing great off the bench and in that fourth outfielder role. Heimer Candelario, who came over in a train, is hitting 385 since joining the Cubs in 15 games. And pitching-wise, Justin Steele is a Cy Young candidate in the National League. Kyle Hendricks is back with the fourth flat ERA. Albert Alzelay, who was a failed starter, has turned into the de facto closer of this team is actually succeeding. His OPS plus, or his ERA plus is near 200. There are so many surprises, and this just really reminds me of 2015, except actually on a more satisfying level, because this team is fighting every day. 2015, that team dominated. They were great all around. They won 97 games. I actually appreciate this team more because there were zero expectations. There was nothing. I mean, we didn't know when the Cubs were going to be good again. It could have been this year. It could have been two years. could have been five years. Maybe Jed Hoyer would have had to be fired for this team to get better again. And yet here we are today with all these different players, some of them old, some of them new, some of them one-year rentals, some of them have been on this team since 2021 in those dog days like Patrick Wisdom, and they're winning, and they have a wild card spot right now, and they're five over 500. That's impressive 
That's all Jed Hoyer. Jed Hoyer is the mastermind and the architect of this team. This random roster of misfits that is coming together and winning games and playing meaningful baseball in August and into September. That's Jed Hoyer getting the job done. And that's these players performing on the field. I don't want to take credit away from them. It's awesome. It's just so fun to watch, and it's so fun to see good guys get credit for good things that they do. After years of being dragged through the mud for, frankly, no correct reason, no reason based on fact, now we see somebody reaping the benefits of his hard work, put into an impossible situation. I hope this team makes the playoffs. I don't expect anything from them. I think they're going to be a dud in the playoffs, and that's not controversial. I mean, this team's five games over. They're a 500 team that's going to sneak in via a wild-card spot. Awesome. It's a great feel-good story and something to build off of for 2024. That's how they should be approaching this season. You build off this for 2024. This is not the end goal. This is not, wow, we finally made it. No, they haven't. A lot more work's to be done. But considering how they started this season, considering the expectations surrounding this team, considering the names of players on this roster that I'm looking at right now, the fact that they're in it is enough for me to say successful. This is a successful season. Cody Bellinger last year, just so everybody is aware, because I think people forget, was hitting 210. And the year before that, 165. Cody Bellinger has not been good since 2019. He had lost his stroke. Even the Dodgers gave up on him. And look what he's doing now. Dansby Swanson, big-time deal. He's performing. Christopher Morrell, 24 years old, has 19 home runs in 79 games. I mean, this stuff is impressive. Justin Steele, 27 years old, could win 20 games this season and could win, on top of that, the NL Cy Young Award if he continues to play his cards right and perform. Nobody expected any of this. Nobody thought that this was going to happen, and nobody could, could have called this early in the season. This is amazing. And I give this team so much credit. And I give more than anybody Jed Hoyer credit for making it happen. Thanks for watching today's show here on Sports Talk Chicago. Appreciate you all tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Cubs and Chicago sports content. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. Support sponsor Amish Country Farms. And a big thank you to John Meadows for directing and producing. So long, everyone.